welcome to North Church. We're so excited that you're here with us today. In a few moments, the band's going to lead us in some songs, and then we're going to hear an amazing message from this week's Bible teacher. If you're new here, you can expect our services to be about an hour long. If after the service you'd like to know more about North Church, I want to invite you to our lobby. There we have an information center filled with really warm and kind volunteers that would love to help you get connected here at North Church. Also, feel free to go online at northchurch.net. There, if you scroll to the bottom of the home screen, you'll see our e-bulletin. There we have all the upcoming events and things to know about North Church. Also in the lobby, you'll see our full-service coffee bar. There we have warm and cold drinks and even donuts, all ran off of your donations. This September 27th on Wednesday night from 6.30-7.30, right now in our lobby, Student Ministry is hosting a parent night. Parents of middle school and high school students are invited to come and meet the pastors, a chance to hear the mission and vision of Wednesday nights, and also ask any questions they would like about our youth ministry. On October 8th, North Church is hosting a Multiply Dinner. This is for any leaders that would like to come and learn how they can invest in other people spiritually. We're going to have dinner together, we're going to worship together, and then we're going to get a chance to hear from Kirk Bubna, the senior pastor over at East Point, as he encourages us to be better leaders. Our Fall Equip classes are just right around the corner. Starting on October 23rd, we are having three classes. One is Standing with the Refugees, our Family Discipleship class, and also the James Groups. If you'd like to sign up for one of these classes, go onto our website and click on the Events page. There you'll see all three classes, and registration is open right now. And those are all the announcements we have for you today. If after the service you'd like some prayer, please step forward as a member of our prayer team. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. Also, right now on your mobile devices, check in and on Facebook at North Church because every five check-ins provides one book for a library for church planners in Indonesia. Otherwise, please stand as we're about to sing.
Good morning. <laughs> My name is Natalia, and we're so glad to have you with us this morning. Would you turn to someone next to you and meet someone new? Well, good morning again, North Church. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Super glad that you're here. Want to encourage you to kind of settle in and sit back, relax, and uh, just count on the fact that we're going to have a great hour together. And while we're having a great hour together up here every week, there is a really cool hour that's taking place downstairs in the kids' ministry. Our kids are being discipled, where they're learning the love of God. Uh, being raised up in the faith, and it's really, really cool to see all that goes on down there. Uh, this morning, I want to share with you uh, a strategy that our kids ministry team has developed for their approach to next generation ministries, which includes the kids downstairs and uh, middle school and high school as well. Uh, so with that uh, in mind, go ahead and take a look at this video. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Ryan McClelland. I'm the kids and family pastor here at North Church. My name is Nathan Mead. I am our student ministries pastor here at the church. And hey, we want to talk to you uh, about our next generation ministries, kind of what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. Here at North Church, we have a huge heart for the next generation, and we honestly believe that it's one of the most important things happening at the church. These kids are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church right now and today, and there's a problem. Yeah, and that problem is, is that by the time students, they hit the age 18, about 60% of them are gonna walk away from their faith and most likely never return. So here at North Church, we're adopting a, a method called Just a Phase from birth all the way through 18 years old that's going to unite all of the next generation ministries here at the church with practices and focuses on where kids are at spiritually, where they're at psychologically in their developmental stage, and where they're at even physiologically, and we'll be changing how we approach kids from one age group to the next. Every single Sunday in North Kids, we have two very distinct age groups that meet. The first one is going to be our infants through our pre-K classroom, our five-year-olds or so. Now in that classroom, those kids think like an artist and they're asking questions like, am I safe? Am I able? And in that particular environment, kids are mostly motivated by safety. So we try to embrace their physical needs in that environment and make sure that all of the kiddos are comfortable. As we move forward to our next classrooms on Sunday morning, we have our K through three and then our fourth and our fifth grade room. Those two rooms for that entire age group, the kids have changed a little bit. They start thinking like scientists at this age. They're developing some wisdom. They're developing a real faith in Jesus. 
and they start asking questions like, do I have your attention? Or do I have what it takes? Now this age group is highly motivated by fun, and we do our best to engage these kids right where they're at in their individual and unique interests. And between both of these classrooms, or both of these different age groups, we try to have unique craft projects, and teaching styles that help these kids grow closer to Christ with where they are at. Now our sixth graders move into our student ministries program, which is our junior high and high school. Those don't meet Sundays, those meet Wednesday nights, but we love and encourage all our students to serve Sundays, to begin to engage in the church on Sundays and well as well. And that starts all the way with our junior hires who are now beginning to develop their own identity and they think like an engineer and they're asking a question something along the lines of who am I and so they're going to be highly motivated by acceptance and so we want to affirm their own personal journey so they can begin to own their own faith and begin to practice their own faith and they're going to really value the faith community that we build here at the church and then as they move into high school they're going to think much more like a philosopher asking questions like where do I belong? Why should I believe? Or what will I do? And they're gonna be highly motivated by their own freedom. And we wanna mobilize their own potential so they can continue to pursue their own authentic faith and discover their own personal mission and calling in Jesus Christ. And we do this on Wednesdays by an engaging message and lots of fun and, and high energy worship and, and heartfelt conversation in life groups that meet every single Wednesday night. Hey, we are so excited about our strategy we have for the next generation here at North Church. We know that God is going to do an amazing work in the next generation, your kids and students, and we are happy to be with you on the journey. If you have any other questions, please reach out to us. Isn't that cool? It really is. To know that there's uh, that much thought and that much preparation and consideration, that much research into some of the best practices and some of the uh, material that's out there, really excellent. I want to encourage you, if, you have, if you're a parent with kids kind of in the elementary up through high school age, uh, uh, they have prepared a handout of kind of that roadmap of the different phase, uh, phases that kids are going through and their developmental needs at that point. That's available for you out at the Information Center. It would be a great resource, uh, so you can grab one of those. Uh, and uh, yeah, just be excited about what's taking place. And so what I'd like to do, and I'd like to ask you to join me, would you go ahead and stand? Because I would like for us to take just a moment to pray here this morning for that next generation of students that God has placed among us. Heavenly Father, thank you for what takes place when we entrust our kids to you. And God, our prayer is that as this strategy is implemented, that you would help us to do a great job meeting every child in this church exactly where they are, giving them exactly what they need to grow into a faith that is exactly what you have designed for them. So God, would you oversee that process, empower our volunteers, and cause our kids to grow up in the faith and never let go of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing and continue to worship.
Sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. 
something so amazing about the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. That means that he is above our weakness. He is above our frailty. He is above our sorrow. He is above our despair. He is above our disease. He's above every need that we could possibly have. And as we get ready to head into a short uh, few moments of prayer, this is the time when we get face-to-face and very real very honest with Jesus. This one whose name is above everything that we could possibly be facing. We come to him and we say, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I need your presence in my life. I need your peace as I walk through this. I need your direction to guide me through. And I need your uh, eternal power to be at work in these circumstances in my life. This is the way that we can come to prayer and bring our needs to the Lord and trust that he is with us and that he will walk with us through what's ahead. So would you take these next few moments that are available right where you sit to spend time talking to the Lord, speaking to the one whose name is above all names. Let's go ahead and pray.
God, we take all these concerns, these prayers, these things that tend to consume our mind and our focus and our attention, and we bring them to you, we entrust them to you, and we ask that you continue to be at work in those circumstances and through those circumstances, bringing your will to bear in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems a little, um, I guess I don't mind saying, it seems a little awkward to move directly from a time of worship that, that, was, that was that powerful and engaging and passionate into talking as, about something as mundane as the offering and money. And so I, I apologize for the awkwardness of that. And yet I will say this, that when it comes time to our tithes and offerings, it is a time to continue with a sense of passion and enthusiasm about what God is doing. I get excited about the fact that we as a church are a collection of people who are saying yes to Jesus in, area, in every area of our life. And when I think about even that video and the strategy that we have for raising up a next generation of believers, I'm thankful to be a part of the many who are contributing so faithfully and so generously towards that. So thank you for giving, knowing that as you give, God is building disciples that are going to affect generations to come. So ushers, why don't you go ahead and come on forward? We'll receive the offering. And as they're doing that, I'll take the opportunity to remind you that we're in uh, a series. We're partway through on vocation, kind of that sense that we have about calling that God has uh, prepared for us kind of a life's work to be a part of and to grow in uh, in that way. You'll recall that um, last week, Mike introduced this topic, and he, he talked about that our calling, our vocation, is that there is, there is work that is suited to us, that fits us. There's work that fits us, and it pleases God, and it serves others. And this morning, we're going to talk primarily about that first part, about a work that fits us, or a work that suits us as we come to understand our calling in greater and greater measure. The idea is kind of this, that there's a lot of work that God wants to see done in the world. There's a lot of things that he wants to see happen. There are things that God wants to accomplish in the world, and some part of that falls to us as individuals. There's a, a sense of calling there. And now that when we say calling or, or vocation, we're talking about what God's calling us to do and what uh, actions he's asked, uh, calling us to be a part of. Sometimes that includes our employment, like our job and our, our career is part of the calling. There are other cases in which this vocation, this calling that we're talking about, it's separate from our job and career. Maybe we earn our, our wages, earn our salary, we make provision over here, but there's, there's this other work kind of beyond that that I'm a part of also as a volunteer or leading uh, in whatever ways that aren't related to the job. And either, either way, we're talking about calling and we're talking about vocation. Now as believers, you know, there's some part of our calling that we all share together. Things that, are, uh, that we all have a share in, that are not unique to one individual or another. It's all of our jobs. For instance, as Jesus was calling his very first disciples, he said this, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. It's kind of an odd phrase, fishing for people, but he was talking to fishermen who understood what it was to put their nets in the water and to gather a harvest of fish that would then become provision for people in their community. And there's a sense that he's saying, hey, as you follow me, you're going to cast out your nets and you're going to draw people into the kind of provision that I have for them. And so that was part of their calling was to come and follow Jesus, but not just to follow Jesus, but to help others follow him as well. That also is something that's part of all of our callings. As Jesus was talking to his disciples at the end of his ministry, at the very end, part of uh, kind of his parting words were this. He said, therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Just before we leave that slide, does that remind you of the smoke a couple of weeks back? Like, there's Spokane somewhere behind all of that. I'm thankful for fresh, clean air today, as we should be. Hey, part of our calling is something that we all share, is that we share together that we're following Jesus, and that as followers of Jesus, we're going to invite other people to come along as well. We're going to equip them as disciples as well. And not just that, but we all share together a calling to be an active part of the local church about the things that take place here. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he put it this way. He said, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That is, each one of us has a place to play in the life of the church. Some of us leading, some of us serving, some of us volunteering, some of us teaching kids, some of us playing musical instruments, some of us participating in worship in, in the pews or in the chairs. Like We've all got this piece to play and that's part of the calling that we all have. And finally, and equally importantly, is that all of us share a calling to reach the world and to serve the world in Jesus' name. Paul described it this way. He said, we are therefore, we, the church, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul acknowledges that when, that the church, that the, the collection of believers there. He said, your job is to be ambassadors for God. Part of your calling, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to represent him to the world and to plead, be reconciled, on, uh, be reconciled to God and let me help. Let me demonstrate his love to you. Let me show you practically God's care for you. Let me invest myself in your life in a way that demonstrates God's interest in you. That's not the calling for like super saints or the super high-end disciples or anything like that. That's just, that's just for us, for all of us, to be followers of Jesus, to help others follow Jesus, to take up our role, whatever that is, in the life of the church, and then to serve the world and love them in the name of God. That is, that's something we all share. Whatever else your vocation, whatever else your calling may be, it includes that, but it's not limited to that. See, we... We do share all those things in common, and even though we all share that exact same sense of calling on those items, we live into it differently. The way I do it's different than the way you do it is different than the way that they might do it. When, when Paul was describing this particular phenomenon on, the, on how we kind of operate differently within the life of the church, he described it this way. He said, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is, as Christ decided how it would go. So Christ himself... Gave, gave the apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists and pastors and teachers. There's all these different functions that Jesus decided, um, you're going to serve here and you're going to serve there and you're going to serve there. That's part of his demonstration. And he did so to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Similarly, with the idea of spiritual gifts, if you're familiar with that out of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. And there are different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Right? So that Paul's saying, and then he goes on to list all the different kinds of gifts. Prophecy, faith, miracles, 
service, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, all kinds of stuff. And he says, and all of those are things that the Holy Spirit kind of distributes to different people in the church so that the whole church can function well. So that you may have gifts that others don't have. The whole church needs your gifts. You'll have gifts that they don't have, and the church needs your gifts as well. And that's true all the way down. We share this sense, this common vocation, this common call of God, but we have to live into it uniquely and individually also. So that, whether, so that in order that by we're working together, we're living into that part of our calling. Now, that's about the calling that we all share in common. Now, there's another part of your calling which may have nothing to do with that, which is unique to you individually. It's kind of, um, it's the unique imprint that God calls you to make in the world as you invest your life, as you invest your talents, as you invest your energy in doing as he calls you to do. And this idea is based really in the heart of this understanding that God has made in you a unique masterpiece unlike anybody else. David wrote in the Psalms, he said, for you, speaking to the Lord, you God have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that just physically, you are a unique masterpiece. The, the way you look, your appearance, your height. For some of us, our weight. For some of us, our weight as it should have been, maybe not as it is. <laughs> but God made you uniquely who you are physically. And that's important. It's, it's a way to understand, yes, I'm uniquely myself. But, but we understand, right, that the unique and powerful and wonderful way that God made us is not just limited to the tissue and the physical matter that makes up our bodies. There's something way more going on in the way that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, right? I mean, let's be honest. Science can account for everything that develops uh, in, a, in, a per, in a human from the time they're conceived up through the time that cells start dividing and they start differentiating and different cells start creating different kinds of tissue and different kinds of organs. And they can describe the whole process whereby the starting physical material becomes the ending physical material of a baby, right? But what science cannot account for is that part of us that's not material, that's not matter, that's not tissue. You see, along the way, as that baby is being developed, along the way, God does something miraculous. He invests into that developing child at the very earliest stages, humanity. He breathes into them the breath of life. And as a result, there's something more than just matter and tissue, flesh and bone and developing cells. They're a human person. A human person with a soul that's invested in, designed to take on eternal life in a way that just matter and just tissue never could. He does something amazing there. And in that moment where mere tissue becomes a living soul, he makes us unique there as well so that we are spiritually unique. And we are emotionally unique. We're unique in our emotional makeup. We're unique in our personality. We become unique in our interests. We become unique in our talents. And all of these things come together to create and to design a person who is equipped to do some things that nobody else is able to do. Why did God create you? Uniquely you. Uniquely the physical person, the emotional, the spiritual, the unique eternal soul that you are. Why did God create you? 
He created you because there's work to be done, work that he wants accomplished, and that is uniquely suited to who you are. There are people out there that need to be loved, that need to be cared for physically, emotionally, spiritually, and in all ways. Creation itself and nature needs to be tended and cared for and looked after. And so God created some people who can do that. God creates artists because there's beauty out there that he wants to express and to have expressed, and he wants to inspire others through that beauty. There are houses that need to be built, and God has created some people who are uniquely designed to enjoy the process of the design and the building. There's infrastructures that need to be developed so societies can function well and healthy. There are crops and food that need to be grown. They need to be distributed. They need to be marketed. They need to be made available so that people can eat. They need to be transported. There are medicines to be developed and to be made available to those who are sick. There are children who need to grow and who need to be educated. There are seniors who desperately need care and respect. There are new technologies that need to be developed. There are families that need to be nurtured, right? We could go on and on and on with the kind of work that's out there that God himself wants to see accomplished. And he says, I've created you, a unique physical person, a unique emotional person, a unique spiritual person, a unique eternal soul, because some part of that work is uniquely suited to you. Where do you fit in all of that? What work is uniquely suited to the masterpiece that God has already created in you? That is your vocation. And it's your vocation, whether you're doing it for pay as a part of your career and your job, or it's your vocation, whether your job has nothing to do with that, but that is something you feel powerfully called to on your own time outside of the job. Vocation is not just about what do you do for a living. Vocation is about where do you invest your life. And if that's the case, if that's really true that there's this vocation that I'm supposed to connect with, that there's some part of the work of God that's uniquely suited to me, how do I discover that? How do I know? How do I figure out what that is? And it's a difficult one because it's, I mean, I'd love to be able to tell you, oh, it's just this mathematical equation. Plug in your height and weight and hair color and the day you were born and then I'll tell you what God wants to do with your life. It doesn't work that way. It's not like a Facebook quiz that's going to tell you which Disney princess you are. <laughs> it's a little more complex than There's no app that's going to take care of that. But there are some things that we can do that can lead us in the right direction. By the way, if anyone tells you I've absolutely and, and in uh, absolute certainty determined my vocation and I have no question marks about it and it will never change for the rest of my life, they're wrong. We are all in process. We're all continuing to grow in our understanding of who God's called us to be and what work he's called us to do. And from time to time in our life, it changes here and there as well. So we're never done with this work, this work of discovering what is our calling, our vocation in this moment. And while we may not be able to say it's this without question, there are some things that we can do that send us in the right direction towards discovering it. And the first thing I think that we can do is to learn about ourselves. We can spend some time understanding the person God's made me to be. There are, lot, there are um, personality profiles out there. 
uh, you know, Myers-Briggs and the DISC profile. The DISC profile we actually use here at church, a lot of times what we do with a lot of our volunteers who serve in any of the ministries and say, hey, let us help you. We'll give you this, um, this instrument. You answer some questions. It helps you to understand who you are and the personality God's given you and the gifts that God has invested in you as well. Because when there's a starting point of, oh, I, I'm beginning to understand how God has made me unique and, and, and created in me kind of this unique sort of person, I can begin to maybe find the places where the work that I do in pursuit of a vacation is a better fit that way. We can learn our personalities and our spiritual gifts. We can figure out where, we're, where God's designed us to be strong and maybe some other areas where he's designed us to be weak. And another thing that can help is, by the way, if, if the Facebook quizzes aren't good enough for you, Find a friend who's honest enough to give you a real truthful answer and not just the answer that you're wanting and to start asking them about their perception of you. Where do you think I'm strong? What gifts do you see that God's put in me? What are the areas of my personality that you can see God using in a positive way? And listen to the answers that we get because learning about ourselves is a step in the process of uncovering our vocation. Here's another one. Research the possibilities. So... You begin to, you start by saying, God, I, I want to understand myself, and I think that I've got maybe some gifts and, and some tendency that, that God may want to be using me in this direction over here, and maybe in this kind of career even. So you go, okay, step two, it's time to research that career. Find out what it's really like. Find out, uh, find out what it takes. One of the great gifts I had was in my uh, sophomore year of college. At that time, I was, a, I was an English literature student the second least marketable degree ever invented, <laughs> right behind philosophy, which was my other choice. So it was clear from an early stage I was going nowhere. <laughs> but in an English class, they gave us a research project was to pick a career, any career that you think vaguely you might be interested in, and do a research project on that. And as a part of that project, I was required to interview a number of, and I chose pastors, to find out what their career was about. And I found out, much to my surprise, as Mike mentioned last week, it's not just reading the Bible and drinking coffee. Although that was towards the top of the list and very attractive to me. <laughs> but I found out that there's a lot else that goes with that as well. And I began to suspect that maybe some of those things that go along with being in ministry are things that fit me. And over time, that became something that I grew into as well. Do you have an inkling, a hint, a thought that maybe God would be steering you in the investment of your life towards vocation in a particular direction? Nothing wrong with doing a little research and finding out what it might be and what that might look like for sure. Another item we've got to do along the way to discover that is simply to pray. Like we believe in our heart, if we believe in our hearts, God did create me with reason and purpose, that there is a sense of this work in the world that he's created me to be well suited to. He's not trying to hide it from you. He wants to help you discover. He wants to get you there. And so seeking him in prayer and praying on your own with the Lord, praying with others about that is a very important step. And emerging out of those three steps, probably, will be kind of the sense of, oh, I, I, think, I think maybe God's calling for me right now is over in this direction, towards this particular thing, towards this kind of care, this kind of love, this kind of activity. And then it's just time to dive in and experiment. I know marijuana is legal in the state of Washington. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't wait until the day that you're absolutely 100% certain and for sure before stepping into some kind of vocational activity. 
If you think God is leading you towards serving others and their, med- and their physical needs in the medical field, just step in, experiment a little. Visit a care facility. Serve those who are in need. See what it's like. Find out if you're successful. Find out if, if what that kind of activity does makes an impact that resonates with you. Find out if there's a sense of fulfillment in that kind of activity for you. Find out is there any enjoyment of it for you. Those are indicators that maybe we're headed in the right direction, right? Can I tell you one of the things that I love about the generation that are, that are referred to as millennials? One thing I love is this, the reaction I just got in the room. It's fantastic. Because every millennial in the, in the room just now rolled their eyes because they think here it comes. And every old person in the room rolled their eyes because they're tired of hearing about it. And so we've got like this one big entire room eye roll going on together. And that's awesome. I love that. But millennials get a bad rap. They get called entitled a lot. And one of the reasons they get called entitled is because they're really misunderstood. They have a super high value placed on things like successful, impactful, fulfilling, enjoyable work that accomplishes something of meaning. And they're unwilling to waste their time in the here and now doing stuff just because it has to get done when there's significant work that's both significant and fulfilling waiting to be done. And they're, quite frankly, tired of old folks like me telling them, well, you're not ready yet, and you got to pay your dues, and you can do that later on your time. And can, I just, can you just imagine what would happen if my generation said to a generation of young people, not, you're not ready yet, you have to wait and pay your dues. What if we just embraced that and said, that is fantastic. You have a sense of calling on a vocation and doing things that matter and diving in. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I mentor you? How can I lead you into that sense of, of calling that maybe God has even given, designed right into your life? How can I support that? I think amazing things would happen. Okay, I'm going to step off of that particular soapbox and keep going. How do I get? How do I get from where I am to my vocation? If there is this big thing, this calling vocation, this work that's uniquely suited to me that I'm supposed to do, and if I'm even able to define it, there's this problem, right? Because sometimes that great idea of vocation is just different from where I am right here. Maybe I have a sense of, man, God would love to have me uh, be a missionary doctor in the outback somewhere where it's desperately needed, but I'm just kind of stuck here being a tradesman in Spokane. How do you get from here to there, right? That's the question. Well, the first thing, and we've already talked about it, is, is you gotta, you got to come down to some kind of conclusion about what you perceive your calling to be, your vocation to be. It doesn't have to be permanent. doesn't have to be once and for all. But at some point after that's those steps and some prayer and experimenting and research saying, this is the direction God's calling me. Maybe, in, maybe with my career or maybe outside of my career, but here I've landed that for the time being, this is the vocation that I'm, I'm uh, diving into. And then you've got to figure out how your vocation uh, or how your current situation is related to that vocation. God's calling me here, but I am stuck here. How does that work? How does that go on? Sometimes, you're, and for a select few, the job that you're working in and the career that you've selected and been trained for is a direct connect to that sense of vocation. And that's wonderful when that happens, but that's not everybody's experience at all. In many times, the situation right now, the job that I have right now, is really the preparation that comes, right, 
to make me ready for living out the vocation moving forward and into the future. And millennials, this is where I need you to hear me. I had your backs earlier, so, so go with me. It may be that this spot in life that you are right now doesn't allow you to dive into that fulfilling vocational kind of activity that you know is, is closest to your heart. It may well be that what you're going to need to learn to do is in this moment right here as things are say, man, God's got some things I can learn as well. God's going to teach me some things here and now. They're going to make me even better at that when that opportunity comes and when I get that chance as well. I think of David, the king of Israel, the one who stands kind of above all others as the, as the hallmark of, of the king of Israel in their history. And, and he spent those years just tending his father's sheep as a shepherd, fighting off wild animals and keeping the flock safe and learning the lessons necessary to be a good king. I think about Joseph, who rose eventually to second in command in all of Egypt, spent languishing away in the prisons and the dungeons of the prisons for years and years and years, learning the lessons of faithfulness and honesty and integrity that eventually elevated him to that high point of calling. I think about Jesus himself, right? Who, when, when he was a young person, was not a religious leader. He was a carpenter. He was a tradesperson. He worked for his dad in his dad's shop, right? But he was learning. He was, he was fashioning these elements of creation, the wood into pieces of, of furniture that were usable, into tools that could help others. He helped take those elements of creation and turn them into the useful, effective things they were originally intended to be. What great preparation for his life of ministry in which he would redeem people and take broken human persons and help by the power of God to develop them into the people they were always designed to be. See, there are these things that we can learn when we're not yet there, when the activity doesn't seem directly related to the calling, but we can still learn the lesson. And sometimes it, it's, not, it's not giving in and it's not surrendering to recognize that in some cases... God gives us our employment and he gives us our career simply as a funding mechanism so that outside of that, we can go do the things that he's calling us to. That I can work faithfully in a job that I don't think is necessarily tied in the big picture to all the huge, great, wonderful things that God's uniquely designed me to do, but it pays the bills and it leaves me the space then on my own time to invest in the needs of others, to care for others, to walk with a sense of calling and vocation that I couldn't do if that job wasn't taken care of, right? So when that, in fact, is the case, we got to sometimes, when we get it all together and go, hey, th this idea of vocation, this idea of finding this work that's suited to me, I might need to make some changes. It may be a job change. It may be that God at some point comes to you and says, hey, you've been doing this for the last 15 or 20 years, you're no longer now where I want you to be. I want you to change your job and do this other kind of job over here that's more connected to your calling. Any of you that have ever had that kind of moment before with the Lord, you know how wonderful and exciting and absolutely terrifying it is all at the same time, right? That's one change that might need to take place. There's another. Maybe you just need to change perspective and go, man, I've, I have been looking at this job as this ball and chain around my neck that's keeping me from doing what I was designed to do, but maybe it's actually funding it. That's a change in perspective. And then along with that change in perspective comes the change in attitude. 
that says I'm not going to walk just with an, with an anger about that, but I'm going to actually say no. I'm going to choose in these moments to learn to live a life of joy and gratitude and thanks, even in some circumstances that I'm not wild about, because I believe God is making a way for me to get to where he's going. I don't know specifically what God's calling you to do with regard to vocation. That's something that you've got to work out with prayer and in conversation and all those other things. But I do know this. God has uniquely designed in you a masterpiece that perfectly suits some of the work that he wants to accomplish in this world. For some of you, you'll get to do that for pay. For others of you, you'll do that outside your employment and everything else. And in both cases, it's completely fine. There's not a better, worse, more or less godly in that. It's really about a faithfulness to saying, God, I'm walking in a life of obedience to you and trying to follow your direction one day at a time, one instruction at a time, one moment at a time. But if we'll all do that together, being faithful in the little things, what happens is a whole lot of that work out there in the world that God really wants to get done, it gets done. And then he receives glory, and other people are served. The perfect coming together of what our vocation is all about. Let's pray. God, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intense thing to think about the fact that there's some work out there that needs to get done, and that it suits me, and that potentially... Work that, you won't, work that you want done won't get done if I don't find a way to do it. So God, for all of us who are looking to uncover and discover and embrace whatever it is that you're calling us to, God, would you reveal that to us? Would you show us? Would you make us wise about next steps and who to talk to and how to research and how to step in and experiment? God, would you lead and guide us in every step of that, because at the end of the day, we want to be able to say we followed your guidance and we've accomplished the, re the purpose for which you've created us. And that's the prayer of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, I just want to remind you, if you're a parent, you got kids in kind of elementary up through high school, the kind of the roadmap to the specific developmental needs of your kids and that just a phase strategy, the copy of that is available out there at the information center, super valuable. Grab yourself one of those and look it over. If you would like someone to pray with you or pray for you, our prayer team's gonna be over here on this side of the auditorium. God bless you, have a great rest of your weekend.